So, this is the last time I get to preach the word to you guys, officially, and then I leave today. What compels me to go? And what compels you to keep on going? What compels us all to keep on going in this mission that God has put our church on? I think we're kind of going to be exploring that idea, really, as we get into this fifth and final part of the message series we've been doing called Our Church. And today, Our Church Encourages. I recently saw a movie called 127 Hours. And um, don't know if you've seen this movie, but it's a, it's a movie, but it's a real-life story about um, kind of an outdoor, ad- adventure-minded kind of guy named Aaron Ralston who went... Um, he went, bi- he took off one weekend to go biking, hiking in Blue John Canyon in Utah. And he had it all alone. He, hit, he had it out there all on, him, uh, on his own, and, and, and he biked out to the canyon, and then he parked his bike, and he got down, he started hiking through the canyon all by himself, having a great time, listening to his music, and he got to one point where he was there, there was a boulder perched on the top of the canyon. As he went across it, the boulder dislodged and fell, and he fell together with the boulder to the bottom of the canyon where the boulder smashed his right arm against the wall, and that boulder pinned his wall against the side of the canyon, and he was absolutely stuck. And he, he tried everything he possibly could try to, to get his arm out of there, but there was nothing doing. There's no way he's getting that arm out. He was absolutely stuck he had he had a cell phone but there was he was nowhere near any kind of cell phone coverage there he was nowhere near anyone at all there was no one within miles of where he was he was all alone and there's no way he's getting out of that situation stuck there and the kicker is that he had not told anyone where he was going that weekend no one knew. He had an empty camelback. He had uh, a cell phone with no coverage. He had a video recorder with a little bit of battery left. He had a, a dull pocket knife, and he had a wristwatch. He had a couple burritos that he had grabbed out of the fridge, and he had 12 ounces of water. He was trapped by an 800-pound boulder and he had told no one where he was going. He spent the next five days drinking 12 ounces of water. He began to realize that he probably wasn't going to make it out of there, so he started recording like his last words on the video camera to say goodbye to friends and family should they ever find it. And, um, but what was happening during those five days? You have this, this physically fit guy, but he was dehydrated. He was dying. He had lost 40 pounds of water weight. He was in desperate, desperate need of water, above all. So he finally came to the realization that he was going to die, that he was not going to make it out of there. Um, he, he realized that, and, and that, that brought him maybe to the, the ultimate point of desperation. So it was kind of hard to watch, but he, he used that tube from his empty camelback as a tourniquet, and he cut off all circulation from going into his arm. And then he used his body weight and torque to snap both of the bones in his arm, and then he used that dull pocket knife to painfully cut his arm off and freeing himself from that rock. 
So he does the best he can to cover that up and then one-handed climbs up out of the canyon and then one-handed, one-armed, scales down a 65-foot rock wall. And what is the very first thing he needs and wants when he gets down out of all that with all that was going on? What does he need? What does he want? Water. And so he buries his face in a stagnant, muddy mud puddle and just drinks because he needs water. And whatever refreshment he can get from there, um, he gets back up again and starts trying to hike out of that wilderness. And finally he comes across a family that had been hiking out there. And as he comes across this family, what, what's the first thing he brings to their attention? It, it wasn't about food. He hadn't eaten for five days. It wasn't about maybe some bandaging for the fact that he just cut off his arm. What is the first word out of his mouth when he meets his family? Water. Water. He was in desperate need of water. Now, this is an extreme story, isn't it? But the Bible describes our story in the same kind of extreme way. Psalm 42, you probably heard this verse before. Psalm 42, 1 and 2 says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? Now, songs have been written about this verse. Artwork has been produced by, uh, about this verse. And most of the artwork shows some kind of a deer uh, standing in a beautiful, lush, green forest, drinking all the water it could possibly want or desire from a, a fresh, clear, uh, flowing stream of water. It might even be standing in the stream of water. But this is not what the psalmist had in mind. The, the psalmist, the Bible, God is describing your situation and my situation in the most desperate terms possible in this verse. It's not talking about a, a, a deer in a beautiful green meadow or forest. It's talking about a, a dying dehydrated deer desperately searching for water in the desert with its tongue hanging outside the mouth. All right? That is the situation that you and I are in if we lack the presence of God. That's what this verse is saying. We are like a dying dehydrated animal if we lack the presence of God. And so our first point, and the main point uh, today is this. Our greatest need is the presence of God. The one thing that all of us have in common is our desperate need for the presence of God. Like a dying, dehydrated animal is in desperate need of water. Our survival depends on the presence of God. And our greatest need, our greatest need was once our greatest joy. Go back to the Garden of Eden. We had the perfect presence of God in the Garden of Eden. Now just think, imagine for a moment, think for a moment, what, how beautiful the Garden of Eden must have been. Think of all the beauty that must have been in the Garden of Eden, all the food, all the glory, all the beauty. But the, in all of that, the greatest blessing that Adam and Eve enjoyed in the Garden of Eden was the presence of God. 
So when we sin, when we decide to go our own way, when we decide to listen to ourselves instead of God, we were sent out into the wilderness. We were banished from the presence of God. We were separated from the presence of God. And Genesis chapter 3, I told you we'd be preaching through the Bible today. So it starts in Genesis. Genesis chapter 3 describes the consequences that Adam and Eve have to suffer because of their sin. But the worst one, the greatest punishment because of their sin, because they decided to go their own way instead of God's way and do their own thing instead of God's thing, their greatest punishment was that they were banished from the presence of God. And that is an exile that we still suffer today. We have been separated We have been banished from the presence of God because of our sin against a holy God. Because we haven't perfectly lived in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds, the way that God designed us and created us to live. Because we thought we were smarter than him. We thought our way was better than him. We sinned against him. And because of that, we have been banished. We've been separated from God. And we, as you know, everyone in your lives, we suffer some pretty awful consequences because of our sin against God. But the worst one, the most difficult for one, the the hardest one for us, the worst consequence that we suffer is when we lack God's presence. Because we are created to desire and to need to be with God, to need to be in his presence. We are created to be in the presence of God. But our sins separated us from God, which resulted in, the fact that we've been separated from God, results in anxiety, brokenness, corruption, depression, greed, insecurity, injustice, addictions, self-centeredness, hatred, loneliness, hopelessness. That is what life looks like outside the Garden of Eden. That is what life looks like outside the loving presence of God. That is what life looks like without the presence of God. That is what life looks like in this broken, dying world. The only remedy for exile is the presence of God. The only remedy for our sin, our brokenness, our injustice, whether it's injustice that we suffer because others are doing stuff to us or whether it's injustice that we inflict on others, the only remedy for that is the presence of God. Deep down, each of us has the need and desire to be with God, to be in his presence. And there will only be increased and more and more restlessness and anxiety in our lives if we remain outside or away from the presence of God. And so therefore, the Bible, the whole Bible, in the whole Bible, the whole story of the Bible, basically God is saying, God is saying, I am going to come and live with you. Your sin banished you from me, but I'm going to come back and live in your presence. That's the message of the Bible. So, second point, the mission of God is the presence of God in all creation. I heard someone say that. The mission of God is the presence of God in all creation. So what God is about, what God is all about, what he is doing, what God lives to do day in, day out, moment in, moment out, is to bring his presence to all creation. That is his mission. And we see that throughout the whole narrative of the Bible. From the beginning to the end. So God, early on, God comes to Abraham and he says to him, I will be with you. 
And then he says to his son Isaac, I will be with you. And then to his son Jacob, I will be with you. And then Jacob has 12 sons and he gives them the same promise. And then they go off into Egypt, into exile, into slavery for 400 years, but remembering that promise and then God comes and delivers them. Then he has them wander in the desert, in the wilderness for 40 years, but they need a reminder that he is present with them. So he has them build a tent. He has them build a dwelling place. He has them build a tabernacle. And he has them do it in a very specific way because it's going to show three things. It's going to show God is holy, God is merciful, and God is present with them. And we, we, you could study through the whole book of Exodus, and we could, that's another sermon for another day, all right? But the whole tabernacle shows God is holy, God is merciful, and God is present with them. But here's the verse I just want to focus on there. In chapter 25, he's telling them, then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. There I will meet with you. There I will speak with you. So the tabernacle in the Old Testament, the tabernacle is all about God's mission to dwell with his people. It is the visible reminder of God's presence on this earth. God is moving into their neighborhood. And it wasn't just, um, I'm inviting you, it wasn't just that he was inviting them back home, he was bringing home to them. It wasn't just that he was saying to them, uh, you come back to me, but I'm coming to you. So the tabernacle is God's presence. In the Old Testament, the tabernacle showed that God is with us. Our greatest need is the presence of God. And in the tabernacle, we know that God is with us. Great, right? What are we supposed to do now? Because the tabernacle is long gone. Even the temple now is long gone. So what do we do now? Well, the New Testament has some pretty great news for us. God himself entered our presence. Maybe you remember this verse from John chapter 1. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. It's the same word as tabernacle. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. I think Tom preached on that on Christmas Day. Tabernacled among us, dwelled among us. Now God's doing it not in a tent, very ornately made, but in a person, in his son. God himself entered our presence It speaks a little bit more about it in the book of Colossians. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell, or tabernacle, in him, in Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death, to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. Christ is the true tabernacle. Christ is where God's presence dwells with us. Christ, as you know, is God with us. We have that other name for him, right? Emmanuel. Christ is God with us. In the tabernacle, you had all those other things going on, right? You had the lambs that were sacrificed. You had the altar where the sacrifices were made. You had that Ark of the Covenant, right? 
with the, with the gold angels on top, the mercy seat that symbolized the very presence of God. You had the priests um, coming and speaking to God for the people on behalf of the people. But look at how that's all fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the altar and the mercy seat where the payment for our sin was paid, the sacrifice was made. Jesus is the great and better high priest who speaks to God on behalf of us. Jesus is God with us, God's presence here. So where does this merciful God we meet with his people now? Um, in the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant? No, but at the mercy seat of the cross. Hebrews 10, verse 19 says, We have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Without Jesus, without the work of Jesus for us, we are like a dehydrated deer panting for water. But with Jesus, with the work that Jesus has done for us on the cross and the empty tomb, we can once again draw near to the presence of God. Now our, our greatest need can once again be our greatest joy. And nothing in this whole world, I mean, we pursue all kinds of things to bring us joy. We pursue all kinds of activities and goals and hobbies and, and, and things in life, but nothing in this world can bring us the joy that the presence of God can. Nothing in this world can bring us joy, the same joy that the forgiveness that God gives us in Jesus can. That is true joy. That's more joy than guilt. It's always been our motto here. That's what life is. That's what God wants to bless us with. Friends, the, the presence of God is what the Christian faith is all about. See, in, in Jesus, in Jesus, God comes to us, wow, we are thirsting to death. God comes to us, wow, we're lost and helpless and weary and, and broken down and helpless. He comes to us, wow, we are like that. And then he doesn't say, okay, you just got to pick yourself up. Uh, you got to try a little harder. You got to do more. You got to work harder. Uh, you got to come to me. He doesn't say that. He says, I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you. The good news about Jesus is that God comes into our exile. God comes into our exile and brings us back into his presence. And he did that by living, dying, and rising in for us. Jesus lived here. He was crucified on that cross to pay for our sins. But then he rose again from the dead to defeat death for us. And then, and then he ascended to the right hand of the Father. Now, if Jesus is the presence of God, and he's no longer on this earth, then where do we find the presence of God now? First Corinthians 3 gives us the answer. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? Where is God's presence now? It's in you. It's in us. It's in the church. It's in all people who believe in Jesus as their savior. After his resurrection, Christ breathed 
his spirit out on his people. He breathed his presence out on his people. He sent the Holy Spirit to fill us with his word, with his presence. On Pentecost Day, 50 days later, the Holy Spirit made it very obvious and showed people that God's presence now dwells with his people as he comes to us in the word and the sacrament. And so, wherever you find the Holy Spirit working through the word and working through the sacrament, in other words, the church, people who believe in God, where you find the Holy Spirit working through the word and sacrament, you find the presence of God. It's in people whose hearts and lives are believing in Jesus because the Holy Spirit has used the word and the sacrament to bring us to faith and then live that faith in us. And that is what brings us to our text for today from Acts chapter 2, describing the life of that first church. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. So these, these, the church, the first church, they devoted themselves to the word, the sacrament, to strengthen them. They devoted themselves to praying, to speak to God and ask for help. They devoted themselves to fellowship, to spending time together, to encouraging. That's where the encouraging takes place in fellowship, in doing life together. And what was happening, as people saw what was happening in their lives, people were in awe at what God was doing, not at awe at what the people were doing, in awe at what God was doing because it was so clear to everyone else that they were seeing the presence of God in the lives of God's people. It, it was just obvious to anyone who observed these Christians that they were seeing God. They were seeing the presence of God in the lives of his people. And they were in awe. And they continued, notice that they didn't meet every Sunday. They continued meeting every day together. They were spending time with each other. They were helping each other out, whoever had need. They were eating together. They were doing life together. Okay, it wasn't just Sunday worship because they were doing that, but they spending every day together to encourage one another, to lift each other up in the Word. And they were living life with joy, more joy than guilt, and everyone was after them. So there was plenty of reasons not to live in joy, but they were living in joy. And they were praising God's name in their community. Wherever they went, they, just, they were owing it all to God and giving him all the glory and praising his name, making his name great. And what was happening because of all this? The Lord was daily adding to their number by bringing more and more people to faith. The kingdom of God was growing on earth. The presence of God on this earth was growing. So, where is God's presence today? Today, we find the presence of God in his church. The mission of God is the presence of God in all creation. All right? And so the church, those who believe in him, are the presence of God on this earth. So God is present in his word. God is present in his sacrament as the Holy Spirit is working through these things in the people who believe in him to grow his church. And so 
Um, God's church, his presence, his kingdom is growing. That's what we hear described in Ephesians chapter 2. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So the tabernacle had barriers, right? Build it this big and no bigger. Boom, it never grew. The temple had barriers, stone barriers. It was this big and no bigger. It didn't grow, but the church is growing. Why? Because God is bringing more and more faith, more people to faith in Jesus as their Savior. This tabernacle, this temple, keeps having more stones added to it keeps having more people added to it. It's growing. God's presence is growing on earth daily. The Lord is adding to its number. So we've seen God present throughout the whole Bible from the Garden of Eden to then the tabernacle and the temple and finally his son, Jesus Christ, on earth and now in the church. We've been walking through a good section of the scriptures. So what does all this mean for you? What does this all mean for you? for our church. Well, by, for starters, it means God is with us, right? It means God is with us. So what does it mean for you? It means that you will never again, you will never again have to be afraid that you will ever be sent out of the presence of God again. You will never have to be sent away from the presence of God again. Just the opposite. You're going to be sent out with the presence of God. Now God is going to be present with you and he's going to go with you wherever you go and whatever you do. There's a very kind of familiar passage in scripture and for most of the weeks of the year it hangs right up here to the left of me or to the right of me if you're looking at me from Matthew 28. Right? Go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So go. Go. Baptize. Teach. Teach the word of the Lord. Be the presence of God in this world around you. And as you're doing all that, Jesus says to you, I am with you always. I am with you always. God's mission is to take his presence to the world through his word and through his sacrament. And here's the thing. He's using you to do it. He's using us to do it. This isn't your church. This is our church. So never stop carrying out our mission. Never stop carrying out our mission. Our church. Our church worships. Our church serves. Our church 
um, studies the word so we can grow in our faith. Our church witnesses the good news to others. Our church encourages one another. Keep faithfully continuing doing all of that. That's my prayer. Keep faithfully carrying out that mission. Why? Why? Why does, um, why does our church do all those things? Why, why do we worship, serve, study, witness, encourage? Why? Because we believe that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because we believe that God will carry out his mission to be present among all people in all creation. In, in Mississauga, in Brampton, in Toronto, in Doral, in West Palm and Delray Beach, in New York, L.A., New Orleans, Rome, Paris, London, Beijing, Tokyo, Moscow, that people of all around the world, that all people on earth might enjoy the presence of God. And that is what was beginning in this first church in Acts chapter 2. Being God's presence wherever he sends us. That's what we are doing as the church. Being God's presence on this earth wherever he sends us out. That's what we're all about. Being the presence of God wherever he sends us. Pointing people and pointing people to the perfect presence of God that we are going to enjoy with him in heaven. I told you we were preaching through the whole Bible, so we got to take you all the way to Revelation where it says, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Be no more tears, no more death. And he says, I did not see a temple in their city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. So, we've preached through the Bible. I've shared with you the whole will and counsel of God. I've preached Jesus Christ and him crucified with you. So what does this all mean? What does it all mean for you? Listen very carefully. Your greatest need, your greatest need in life is not a bigger paycheck. Your greatest need is not better education. It's not better health care. It is not better behaved kids. It's not better friends. It's not even a better marriage. Your greatest need is the presence of God in your life. And so the whole story of the Bible, the whole story of the Bible can be summed up in three words. God with us. God with us. The Garden of Eden. God with us. The Tabernacle. God with us. The Temple. God with us. Christ. God with us. The church, God with us. Heaven, God with us forever. No more tears, no more death, no more pain, no more sadness because God will be with us forever. So, 
I'm going to close today with three implications then. First one is for the non-Christian, non-believer. Maybe you're here today because uh, you came, because you were invited, or you know, maybe you wanted to come uh, to, see, to see me one more time, be humbled with that, whatever. But maybe you're here, maybe you're not sure if you believe yet. So the first implication is for you if you're not sure you believe in Jesus yet. How does it change your life? How does it change your life to know that God wants to be with you? That maybe you have thought your whole life long that you had to work your way back into his presence. But how does it change your life to know that the presence of God is invading your life right now as we speak? And that the Bible is not about people coming to God, but God coming to people. I just want to plead with you. I want to beg you. Don't waste any more time getting dehydrated in the wilderness. Look to Christ. Look to the cross. He loves you. He forgives you. Believe in that forgiveness. Receive that forgiveness and experience God's love and presence in your life. The second, the second implication is for the Christian, for someone who knows and believes that Jesus is your Savior. How does it change your life to know that you will never again be sent away from the presence of God? That, that how does it change your life to know that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? How, how does it change your life to know that, that Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, will always be with you? That he will never leave you or forsake you? And, and that now God is calling you, he's inviting you to participate in this. To participate in this mission with him. See, God isn't interested in creating audiences. God is interested in creating participants. This isn't your church. This is our church. We get to do this. We get to participate in God's mission, knowing that he will be with us as we do it. The final implication is for our church. How does it change our church knowing that we are sent with the presence of God? That, that our mission, our church, gets to be participants in God's mission of bringing his presence to the world. That's why you're always going to have your pastor and Kevin and everyone else and all your leaders harping on you, encouraging you. We need to get in the Word. We need to study the Bible. That's why we're in the Word. That's why we encourage you to be in worship and to receive the sacrament and if, you, and if you're not confirmed yet to take the Bible study to get ready to take the sacrament. That's why we encourage that because this is where God is present with us. So we worship. We grow in the word and sacrament and then we live out of thanks. We live Christ-like loves, lives of love and holiness and mercy toward others and then we gather in small group Bible studies and we spend time with one another to encourage each other. We call that fellowship that's where encouragement happens, where we lift each other up and remind each other of the goodness of God and the presence of God around us. And as we do those things, as we spend time in the word, friends, the sacrament, praying to God, living lives that show what Christ is like and encouraging each other in the love of Christ, that is where the presence of God is. 
And that is how other people are going to run into the presence of God and find the presence of God and see the presence of God and have their lives changed by the presence of God because they see it in our lives, because they see it in all that we do, because they see how God is working in those ways through us. So let's never give up doing that. I want to encourage you to keep on encouraging each other. I want to encourage you to keep on meeting together faithfully here, building each other up, encouraging each other in the word. Our mission Our mission is to participate in God's mission by extending his presence into the world, wherever that might be, in Mississauga, in Delray Beach, or wherever. So when I really got down to thinking about it, very humbly, my departure today, or we won't say it that way, you sending me out to plant a new mission, you sending me out to plant a new mission, is really small and insignificant compared to God's massive mission of bringing his kingdom to the hearts of all people. So do you see? We are still on the same mission. So, let's keep encouraging each other. Let's keep encouraging each other as we go on that mission together, no matter where our addresses might be. Always knowing, always knowing, never forgetting that God is with us. All of us. Always. As he has always, always promised to be. Amen. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding. Keep our hearts and minds in faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.